Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host and dear friend, Jim Carr. How are you doing, Jim? Thank you, Jason. That was very kind of you to say yeah. that. That could be nice to and you happy once fathers, in a while. And happy Father's yeah, Day. Happy Father's Day to you, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's the day after Father's Day. And yeah. It was a nice little celebration yesterday. So I had a nice brunch with my family, and my wife made her made an amazing dinner for, for me and the family. Good so for you. It was good. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, you? we say this, recite this at the beginning of our show, and when you said it this time, and you said, manufacturing is challenging. Oh, and it's I wrote challenging. Down, challenging. Yeah. Because let me tell you, it's always challenging, right? Yeah. Well, do you, do, you, we, do you know the song, The Times They Are Changing? Do you know who wrote that song? You know, I really don't. I saw that in the oh, notes. Really? I'm surprised. No, and I didn't want to say anything, but maybe I do, but I need it's the- Bob co- Dylan. I, I need the chorus. It's and Bob I, Dylan. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, one of I'm the sure. greatest singer-songwriters oh, of all time. Yeah. yeah. He's actually one I'm of my favorites. I'm not a huge Bob Dylan I, I didn't fan. think you were. No. Not, I, I always liked his music, and actually, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the harmonica, too, and I bought a harmonica for my kids. They like to play it every once in a while. So. Cool. But yeah, the- Times they are changing right now, and and it's it's crazy out there. And I think as leaders, as manufacturing leaders, we need to change with that, but we need to do it in an intelligent way. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I mean, do you see things changing for your shop in the future because of just kind of the state of the world? My immediate answer would be yes. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of change going on right now at my business, and I think the reason for this overabundance of change recently was purposeful due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So I think Such that, as what? well, I think that we felt like there was opportunity. Oh, in other industries or something just, like that? I, I, I don't, I just want to generalize. I believe yeah. that when you have something as big and global and disruptive as a global pandemic, Mm -hmm. it just turns the entire world on its head. Mm -hmm. And I think with that becomes opportunity to grow your personal self, grow your business, grow, I I don't know, but change, it's time for change because everything's a mess. Mm -hmm. So let's try and make some good decisions out of this turmoil. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us, you know, I can be a little bit more specific. We operate a showroom and it's a, it's a pretty minor part of our business. It's only like 5% of our business, but as a part of our legacy, our heritage that my grandfather started out the business as a hardware store. And then my dad moved the company to be an industrial supply company. We had this very active counter business. Well, now that we've moved into vending and on-site applications with our customers and more phone business, that counter business is only 5% of our business. And now with COVID here and there being a lot of, I like to call it physical distancing and you know, just concerns in in that type of a, I guess, retailish market. You know, it's like, should we continue on with this? And that's that's one of the questions that we've been asking ourselves. Or, or how do we position this part of our business differently? I agree, and that's something that you and your leadership team need to really think about mm-hmm. and make hopefully a good decision. Yeah, and based we, on and, that, you know, we also need to think about who is part of our leadership team, and are they going to be the right people to take us into the next three to five years. Could, and not, we're could about, not agree with we're you more. We're talking about that a little bit more on this episode. Sure. So before we go there, what's new at Car Machine? Well, speaking of this change that I not take advantage of, but due to COVID, 
we made an aggressive move to buy a new building nice. from Car Machine Congratulations. Tool. We just signed the real contract last week. Great. Both parties finally agreed to the terms and conditions. It's only two blocks away from where we're at now, but it is significantly bigger than what we're in right now. And it's weird, man, yeah. because I've been in that building yeah. for 41 years. Years. Wow. Me personally. Yeah, yeah, you personally. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah. That's all yeah. I know. So can you imagine me making that decision to grow the company, take a risk, and just move it? Yeah. Is but that you your son what? pushing you to do that more than anything? Um, it's my son and my leadership team. Yeah. So, you know, we practice EOS. Yep. And I had the rock because yeah. I had I'm the guy making the investment in the right. real estate, right? Of course. So it was my rock to make a purchase. Yeah. And I did it. Good for you. And I did it four weeks before that June 27th day. Was there you go. We'll up. just make sure it's a good decision, you know? I, I don't think the risk is going to be yeah. that great. Can we put a little studio in there so that we can, you know, record some episodes there and stuff like that when we need we'll to? We'll talk about it. Okay. Well, I'll have a private office, so. Finally. 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 I know. <laughs> I'm sure the Metalworking Nation will hear all about what's going on at the the new car. Sounds good. So there's a lot in the works and I'll be I'm probably gonna do like a videography thing about the reconstruction and everything cool. else. So you'll be seeing it on LinkedIn. Sounds good. Well why don't we move on to some yeah. manufacturing news? This this kind of caught my eye. Less about caught like my eye too. Yeah, less about like you know the actual political side of it. But I'm going to read the title as it's written. GOP senators introduce beat China bill aimed at increasing U.S. manufacturing. So, well, first of all, I, I mean, I get the whole. What did you? How did you I, feel I about the, whole the beat, beat China? China? I mean, it just seems. I a little, that, it seems a little. It was silly. a little catchy. It was it's a little, little marketing ish. Yeah, maybe it is, but yeah. it, it always seems a little silly. But I guess it gets the point across. So. Basically, this legislation, which was which was just introduced, is intended to increase American manufacturing to help limit our dependence on China. As right. a, lo- a lot of people, unless you've been living under a rock, know a lot of the controversy out there from a manufacturing standpoint has been that, oh gosh, we get all of our pharmaceuticals from China. And China was the source of this pandemic in the first place. And our relationship with them is tenuous at best. They have a worldview that is starkly different from our worldview. And we need to make sure that we change that. So basically, it's looking to change how we look at manufacturing of prescription drugs, medical supplies, and devices. They're looking to put together incentives in order to bring a lot of that manufacturing back to the United States. So it's introduced as HR 6690, which was submitted by a politician named Chip Roy from Texas. So basically what it would do is it would alter the tax code to provide incentives to businesses willing to relocate their production to the United States. What do you think? Well, I definitely think there's going to be a big change in American manufacturing in the future. Well, there was another bill that I just heard about where I think it was the Democrats wanted to bring in $3 trillion to help manufacturing. Mm-hmm. The Republicans wanted to bring in $1 trillion, and then Trump was like, okay, well, why don't we just settle on $2 trillion? I but, did hear about you this. Know, of course, it's probably not all manufacturers. They try to put all their like 
pork and stuff like that into into these bills. But like, there's a lot of talk about manufacturing right now, and it's yeah. encouraging. And it, it is makes, encouraging. And, you know, it makes me excited for what the future could look like in manufacturing because I'd love to see a lot of those people who have otherwise been displaced in whatever jobs that they're in now look to manufacturing as a as a career option. I mean, we've talked about this many many times on on making chips that there's people at like say like a lower income because they're in like a service industry maybe working in fast food or something like that get the education move into manufacturing where you can make a lot more money than you could without a college degree i could not agree with you more so i hope that that happens and i hope that some of these bills and in and, and political machinations that are moving around help to to move us into that direction as a country i'd like to know what the tax incentives are they're trying to implement well it doesn't sound like it would affect you even if you're in the medical industry, because it's intended, at least from what I'm reading, for manufacturers to relocate from overseas back to the so United you're States. Ta- so think about like a U.S. manufacturer who has a, a manufacturing plant in China. They're getting that incentive to come back, back. over here. Okay, got yeah. That makes sense, right? Yeah. And and why shouldn't they be? Right. Well, we know why they went there, right? Right. Cheaper. It, it's it. just low yeah. overhead, low yeah. wages. And, exactly. But at the end of the day, when the global pandemic came... They closed down. There was nothing coming over, and it really threw a monkey wrench into yeah, the and whole. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that supply you know, chain. Yeah, yeah, it, it it messes up the supply chain, and not to mention that you know wages in China have slowly increased over a long period of time. Yeah, I've so heard. Like, I've heard know, that as well. Starting to equalize, I guess you would say. Yeah. So how about we move on to introduce our VIP guests. Before do we that? do that, oh, I just want else? to tell the Metalworking Nation okay. that there is curated weekly articles that you get in your inbox if you subscribe to the Making Chips. And what's the easiest way to subscribe to Making Chips? You can text CHIPS to 38470 and then you'll get a prompt to what to do next. Very good. And and speaking of curated news, we, we do put original writing into all of our Boring Bar articles. Right. But I do want to make the entire metalworking nation aware that we are looking for somebody to join the Making Chips team. So we're specifically looking for somebody that has writing skills and understands the manufacturing industry and wants to be a part of not our our highest leadership team, but would be a leader in the company. The position would be at our Making Chips headquarters in Rockford, Illinois, but we're open to somebody relocating there if they needed to. And if you know somebody in the industry that is a writer, they would be doing other things besides writing as well, but they would be a a leader on our team and we're we're really looking to find the right person that can fit with our core values. Sounds great. It's all about the core values, right? Yep. Got gotta have that alignment. You got it. Yeah. So why don't you so, introduce our guest? Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to Robin today. I, I'm so glad our paths crossed once again. I met her a couple years ago, I'm thinking, at a, a local manufacturing event and we hit it off at that time. I remember it was I had a, a feel good moment after I met her. And I'm so glad that she's in our studio today to share with us what she's doing from a managerial point. So we have Robin Johnson in our studio today. Robin is a change leadership advisor and a leadership coach with more than 18 years of experience in a variety of industries and environments, including pharmaceutical manufacturing, food manufacturing and distribution, retail wine and spirits distribution, and chemical distribution. Robin is a change agent with a passion for helping organizational leaders move their organizations from current to a future state. 
When not working with a client, she is also carrying out duties as a board member, teaching graduate students in the MBA program at Concordia University in Chicago. And before COVID-19, Robin also spent much of her free time in the city at live music venues, trying out local restaurants, and on the hunt for the best brunch spots for the life group ministry she leads at church. Lastly, Robin is the author of Leaders Don't Have to Be Lonely, Eliminate the Loneliness, and Lead Like a Coach, which informs managers of people and leaders whose performance goals include developing their team members of what it takes to lead with the intent to coach. Robin Johnson, welcome to Making Chips. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, Robin and I, actually, I don't know if you know this, Jim, Robin and I met each other because she was on the Christians in Manufacturing. I did know that. Me, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we were, I don't did we host that event together We did, once? we hosted a breakfast. Yeah, we were hosting mm-hmm, a breakfast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we go way back as far as that goes. So so why don't we get into this though? So one of the, I've, I've, I've been watching the videos that you post on, on LinkedIn, Robin, and I've got lots of questions associated with those. So, and if anybody is not friends with Robin on LinkedIn, you should, and you can watch some of her videos and get... We don't have to spell the name out. Robin Johnson's a pretty articulate yeah, way to, yeah. to spell it, but right? But there are probably a million other Robin Johnsons. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you'll look yeah, for Robin Johnson DSL. Okay, there, there you, you go. go. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. It, and if you, you have the right Robin if she's connected with Gemini. Yes. So, that's right. <laughs> so first of all, Robin, you know, you talk about emotional intelligence a lot. What is emotional intelligence and why is that important for a manufacturing leader? Yeah, so emotional intelligence is the capacity to be self-aware and to be able to control your emotions and to be empathetic. Okay. So at the heart of it, it is how to be aware of your emotions and how to control your emotions. Okay. It's important because you don't want leaders in your organization going off on employees, going off on you, because then that that damages your work environment. Is that really common? I mean, I hear horror stories out there and I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, my boss is horrible and he's always yelling at us and I'm afraid to talk to him. Is, is that what that lack of emotional intelligence is? Yes. And, and it's not that if you have emotional intelligence, it's not that you don't get angry. Mm-hmm. It's that you are aware when you do get angry. It's that you ask yourself questions like, why am I upset? what's really making me upset here? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, so it's just the awareness of it. And it is being able, because you are aware, being able to stop and say, let me not go off. Mm-hmm. It's being able to control that anger. And how do you handle that anger under control? Well, there's probably a lot more to emotional intelligence than just that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Like tips and tricks on how to mitigate that before I go off, before my head just feels like it's going to explode and I'm going to shoot off all these expletives and, you know. Yeah, so Jim's gone off on me before. He's not my boss or anything, but he's gone off on me before. Does that mean he's not emotionally intelligent? Yeah, let, no, seriously, because I, I know there's a book called Emotional Intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and You never read it, but you I know never that, read you it, know but it I've thought about it, quite frankly. It does intrigue me, Robin. So look, can, we, can we talk about, I don't even <laughs> yeah. know if this is part of the script. I'd like to talk a little bit more about what it is, because this is definitely not the first time I've heard about emotional intelligence. And I want to know how I can use it, Jim Carr can use it in my own business sure. to be a better leader sure. and to be empathetic 
and self-aware. Mm-hmm. At the heart of it, it is understanding, is being aware of where you are emotionally and then how to control it. So that is the heart of it. But yes, there are, there's other things that go into being emotional intelligence. So in the video that Jason reviewed, the last video I posted, it talked about, so being self-aware is understanding who you are and understanding who you are in this space at this time and being okay with it. So if I'm angry, I'm okay with being angry. But again, how do I control the anger? Because right. because it's if I go off on a person, am I going to be okay with that? Or am I going to then shrink back later and say, gosh, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just dealt with something pretty big in my business, and I'm not ready to talk about it yet. But it was a situation where I was angry and very disappointed, and I didn't lose my cool. And as a matter of fact, person that my pastor who helps to disciple me, he was like, I'm actually pretty proud of you. You haven't lost your cool on that. And be quite frank, the person I was dealing with, I knew didn't make this mistake on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to be empathetic to him and that I knew that it, it was a situation that just he felt just as bad about it as, sure. as I did. So. so that's a great display of emotional intelligence. Another way is we, we hear emotional intelligence and we Im- immediately think of empathy, mm-hmm. which is you a, know, part of it. a part of it. Empathy being different from sympathy because sympathy, I feel bad for you. Yeah. But well, empathy I always, is, when I th- think of the difference between empathy and sympathy, sympathy means I felt that pain before and I can sympathize with you on what your struggles are. Empathy means I've never gone through that emotion before, Mm -hmm. but yet I feel your pain and I'm empathetic towards your pain. And I want you to know that although I don't exactly know what you're going through, I'm, I feel bad for you, and I want you to know that. Is I'm that correct, sh- Robin? Because I'm always suspect of Jim's definitions, <laughs> especially since he uses. We can look it up, especially since he uses the word in the definition. It kind of confuses me. Well, a little bit, so, so yeah, so empathy is being able to understand <laughs> other person's situation and and almost make it your own, right? You know, so that you can feel it. And right. so yes, yeah, so you may not have ever gone through it. If we even talk about what's happening today with the country and the racism, Mm -hmm. if I told you some stories of how black parents have to talk to their teens, it would be much different from the conversations you're having with your teens. Mm -hmm. If I told you those stories, you could empathize. I could. You could empathize. It's not something that you would ever go through yourself. I agree. But you can hear the story and say, oh, my God, I didn't know that you had to do that. And how can I help? Right. Sure. Right. I totally get that. So that's empathy versus sympathy. Oh, I feel bad for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then that may be it. So when you're dealing with employees and they're coming into work and when employees come into work, they come into work bringing everything with them. I know we've heard that saying. Baggage. Is that what you mean? They're bringing baggage. Your hat at the door. Yeah. You know, we tell people that. But people bring they bring who they are to work. And so they may come in with lots of baggage. Now, an unempathetic leader and and a leader with low emotional intelligence will overlook that. And I don't care. Get to work. Put in the hours. Right. I'm paying you X amount of dollars an hour. You better get on that machine and get going right now. Say that like you know from experience, Jim. (laughs) Is that your dad? (laughs) Maybe. God love him. 
But a leader with high emotional intelligence recognizes there's something going on here. Is it also emotionally intelligent if you have something going on personally to be able to manage that in a way that you don't bring that to the workplace, or at least you you don't bring it to the workplace in a way that interferes? That with interferes, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it kind of goes both ways as far yeah. as that goes. But again, we're people, and right. we bring oh, we sure. bring all of us. Yep. Right. Yeah. So if I just had a, an argument with my spouse in the car right. on the way to work, right. and I'm still heated, yep. emotional intelligent would be, I, I recognize that I'm angry. Yeah. But I'm going into work. I'm dealing with people who are not my spouse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I can put that away. Yeah. Yeah. Because you want to be. I mean, everybody has challenges at home. You want to be a safe place to be able to, you know, not be beat on when you're when you're here at work. Sure. Too. You know sure. what I mean? Because that's yeah. the worst situation when you have it going on at home and at work. Yeah. yeah. So, Robin, why is it important for a manufacturing leader, specifically a manufacturing leader, to have emotional intelligence? Can you give us some examples of why particularly a manufacturing leader like myself or Jason or any of the thousands and thousands of people that are listening to this show, why is it so important? Because you want employees who want to be there. I agree. You want employees who want to work for you. Yes. Because when they want to, when they care, they're going to do the best work they can possibly do. But if you are a leader who is slow at making decisions, that's a part of emotional intelligence, and they're just waiting for you to just make a darn decision. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And you just won't. You take forever to make a decision. That disengages your employees. Because they don't feel as though that I'm authentic or I'm not trying or what, what does the and employee says, see? Yeah. When, what does the employee, how does the employee interpret that leader that's not making quick decisions or dragging his butt or not empathetic yeah. or not flexible is that they don't trust you. They don't. Oh, trust is a huge word. They don't trust you. Trust is huge. And your behavior isn't doing anything to show them or to give them a reason to trust you. I feel like emotional intelligence is this thing that's like, for lack of a better word, it's not black and white, it's gray. Okay. So, like, just because you say don't correct, and like you're empathetic towards employer. You're like, I can't let this person go because I'm empathetic towards them. Well, but that's not necessarily that you're using emotional intelligence because you're not gauging how the rest of the team sees your inaction to make a decision. So there's, you got to kind of find that gray space in order to really have that high level of emotional intelligence. And sometimes the very best thing you can do for an organization is to let a person go. And because if the person is really that awful, it's hard to define awful. It's hard to define awful. Right. Because here's the thing. You have leaders who are, they are autocratic leaders, authoritarian in mm -hmm. style, and their employees hate them, right? They hate them because they're authoritarian and they're not, they're not really leaders. You know, let's do this. Let's make this happen together. Right. Well, Work will be done because employees are afraid <laughs> not to do the work. They're, the employees are afraid of being yelled at. And so work will be done. And so we look at that that leader and say, oh, they're doing their deliverables. Yeah, I must be right? a great leader. they got to be a great leader, yeah, yeah. right? They're, they're getting out the work. It's a toxic environment, right? But it's a toxic environment. Yeah. But so a lot of leaders actually stay on staff because they are delivering 
what needs to be delivered, right? We need to make a thousand widgets by the end of the day. And so they make that happen. We're keeping them. So they put in scare tactics to make and it happen. To make it happen. Yeah. But yet everyone's miserable. Everyone's the- miserable. And they're always looking for the next job. Yes. Now they haven't left because they haven't found the next job, but they're looking. But that that leader that is not emotionally intelligent thinks he's amazing because he's getting results. Yes. The only thing is it's not sustainable. Those results are not sustainable. And there's going to be constantly a flux of people coming in and out and rotating. Well, and, and also training. it comes down to like, who do you want to be as a person first? Well, and who do you want to be as a leader? Because like, do you really want to be that person? And, and I, I would say most people like, they don't want to be that person with low, intel- low emotional intelligence. They just don't know how to be somebody else otherwise because they don't they haven't taken the time to figure it out yes you know that's right that that's right yeah. yeah now there are some people who actually like being authoritarian yeah right they don't mind yeah. that they go off on people they actually right. have just never thought about it yeah but now that emotional intelligence is like the buzzword right people are now starting to say oh well how do I look? And yeah. Do I have it? Yeah. You know? yeah. And you need to do some self-reflection. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So Robin, let's let's talk about making change. Yeah, it's um, a big word. It's a changing world right now. And, and I feel like as leaders, we need to change with it. So how do I know if my leadership team has the emotional intelligence to affect the changes that are needed in our organization in the future? So you look out in three to five years, okay? And you know things are going to be different than the way that they are now. Okay. But are the people on my team the right people to be able to make those changes? How do I know that they have the emotional intelligence to be able to get us there? You know, and emotional intelligence is just one component. I mean, obviously there's skills and there's know-how and there's, right. you know, hard work you, and all that You can't take stuff. a kid from elementary school right. and throw them into a leadership yeah. role and expect them to be right. successful, right? But talking about emotional intelligence, how do I know if my leadership team can, can make that can make this change. So understanding what emotional intelligence is, is the first start, right? And just being aware of emotional intelligence, tons of books you can read, tons of articles you can listen to and videos to watch. You can also take assessments to determine if you are high emotionally intelligent or if you are lower in emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, where would you get one of those assessments? Is there one online? No, but you can come through me. Okay. <laughs> there you okay. go. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, and we'll give Robin's contact information here at the end. What do we, they go to your website and then you can they help can facilitate come, yes, that? Yes, they can go to my website okay. and, and then we can set up a time. And so you can take a 30-minute assessment. Well, Actually, you can take a 20 to 30 minute assessment. There are assessments for employees. There are also assessments for your leadership. 20 minutes, we'll complete it. And then you can sit down and just discuss the results. And you can understand where you need to develop. Because there are 16 elements to emotional intelligence. 16 16 elements. elements. What What are some of the big ones? Decision making. Okay. Being flexible, okay. Being self-aware, empathy, of course, social responsibility. Those mm-hmm. are some of the, the the larger ones. Okay. How do you manage stress? Okay. Oh, that's a huge one. How do you manage stress? I go to the gym. You go to the gym. I drink wine. Jim <laughs> drinks wine. <laughs> what do you do, Robin? I read. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Not a lot. So, you know, we all have our different ways yeah. of, of handling stress, but not everybody handles it. Some people yell. In, yeah, some people yell. Mm-hmm. Some people do some really awful things worse than yelling, right? So looking at your results 
and understanding where you fit within this spectrum of emotional intelligence gives you some things to work on gives you some things to work on i think that self-awareness seems to be like probably the biggest thing because you're not going to make those changes unless you are self-aware and you want to you want to change so change is a big word right and we all know what it means in the simplest of terms but when you're a leader of a company and you're trying to implement change there's always going to be a percent of your staff that's going to be resistant to change, right? So I know this isn't a simple question, but how do we nurture that employee to embrace change and be successful with change? Do you mean like, you know, your employee is like, Jim, I just, I just like this standard milling cutter. I don't want to use that high feed. Well, I mean, yes, that's one aspect of it, but there's also, what about change to a new ERP system? Right. What about change to yeah, a that's new... That's a big one. That's a huge one. Yeah, That's a huge yeah. change. What about to, change to starting at a different time? Or what about change to doing a third shift? What about change to a new building? Yeah. What about change to responsibilities? Some, responsibilities. Yeah. So what's interesting, you started the broadcast with the fact that you're moving into a new building. I am. And whenever I go and do a workshop about change management, I always, the very first thing I ask the audience is, Tell me a story about something that's changing in your life, something happy. So somebody's getting married, you're buying a new home, you're about to have a baby, a kid just graduated from high school or college. Sure. Tell me a story. Right. And then we look at the adjectives that come out of that story. And every time it's stressful, scary, nervous, fearful. So no matter the change... Whether it's we're changing the HR system, we're changing your email address, we're moving into a new building, we're going to get these really high-tech desks that allows you to stand or sit. No matter the change, it's scary. Yeah. It's so stressful. is it a matter of just telling people they need to accept the fact that it's no? Be so that way? then when we understand and we realize who we have on our team and we know who's going to be the resistors. We want to spend more time. Yeah, we want to spend more time with our resistors. And we think of resistance as a bad thing. And so we, oh gosh, I don't want to deal with this person. Mm -hmm. But resistance can be a really good thing because resistance can help us become aware of some things that we're not necessarily yeah, seeing. Yeah, like maybe you, there's something you didn't see as a potential pitfall. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want there to not be any resistors. We really do want resistors. We just don't want them yelling louder than the cheerleaders. Yeah, and you don't want a whole team full of resistors you either. You do not yeah. want a whole team of resistors, yeah. yeah. But when you have people that are afraid of change, you've identified them as resistors. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that for the most part, and I'm generalizing here, that the resistors are people that are only thinking about themselves and their inabilities to catch up with status quo, and they feel like they're going to fail and somebody's going to overcome them, right? Isn't that what most people think? The people that are resistors it's it's a whole combination of things. So yeah. sometimes it's self-preservation. Yes, right. Self-preservation for right. sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's, I really do see some pitfalls that you're not considering. And sometimes it's just, 
I don't want to change because I like doing this this way. I've been doing it this way for 17 years. I know how to do it with my eyes closed. I don't have to think about it. And now you want to change something. So it's just a combination of reasons. But if you have resistors, the best thing you can do is have conversation. I agree. I I agree with that for sure. Because we tend to just want to kind of leave them at arm's length. I I don't want to deal with it. The best thing you can do is have a conversation and understand why are you resisting. Right. At the heart of it, why don't you want to change? And and sometimes maybe they'll just vent and let you know why, and then they'll be able to get past it. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've talked about like there's different ways that the particular people handle changes and and you put them into a few different buckets. Is the resistor one of those or is that... So they would be under the conserver. Okay. So your conserver, they don't want to change because they don't feel like there's a reason to change. Oh, these are the three idiosyncrasies of a resistor? Yeah. Oh, is that (laughs) right? Or through change. So three change styles, how we change as people. Okay. There are three buckets. And so your conserver is that resistor. They like to follow the rules. They are inflexible. Why are we doing this? Didn't we just change two years ago? Why are we changing again? That's your conserver. Okay. And then your pragmatist, they're the folks in the middle. Oh, okay, we're going to change. All right, that's cool. Why? When? You know, they're going to have tons of questions, and they're sitting on the fence. They're ready to do it, but they just want to know all the rationale and the facts. Yeah, Yeah. before we go and just create chaos. Right, exactly. And then you have your originators who you just, they hear the word change. And they're like ready to run and they're take excited. off. That's, yeah. I think that's more me. I think more I'm more of an originator. And originators, they don't mind breaking the rules. That's what rules are for. And we will fit new rules into this new structure. And, right. and they don't mind the chaos. And they don't mind the uncertainty that comes with change. Mm-hmm. Your conserver, they don't want the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So you need a good mix of all these different types you, of people? You, you do. But again, you want more originators because you want the cheerleaders. Okay. Yeah. You want more cheerleaders than you want conservers. I feel like in our industry, and I don't know if there's if this is like an industry-specific thing, but I feel I like... I know what you're going to say, I, I and I, have, I think I'm going to say yes. I think we have probably more pragmatists more than anything. You know what I mean? Because the fences? Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying yes in manufacturing? Because the world has more pragmatists. Oh, the world has more mm-hmm. pragmatists. So I, I always thought it as like, I don't know... I could be off on the 60% pragmatist and 20% on, on the other Most side. Most people meet in the middle. Yeah. 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 So your originators and your conservers are outliers. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Robin, talking a lot about leadership and change and resistors and conservers and pragmatists and originators, when we're developing our leadership team, what are the characteristics of leadership should we be looking for when we choose leaders to help us at the top represent our company as a whole? And that's a great question. You're definitely, you want more originators. Is it like a vision, is an originator more like a visionary? We, we have, talk a lot about visionary, visionary and, Okay, but they have to want to change because in business, if we don't change, we don't grow, we don't survive, right? So yes. we have to, and so you have to bring in leaders who are ready to change, who are not so married to their processes that they're unwilling to change with you because mm-hmm. you don't want to go in every day and have to fight with your leadership. Mm-hmm. No, not at right? all. No, no, so no. So you want someone who 
okay, let's do this, Jim. We're, we're behind you 100%, or we're behind you 80%, right? Because, again, you do want those resistors. A little bit, yeah. But you also want leaders who know how to lead employees and not just manage. So not just put together a schedule, not just keep to budget, but they really know how to lead people so they can show that empathy, they can make decisions in a timely manner, they can get new information and then make informed decisions based on that new information. Again, not stuck and married to procedures and policies regardless whether they work. Thank you. I I get that. Do you pick your leadership team based on those characteristics and criteria? I'm just learning about these different categorizations that Robin talked about, but I would say I've definitely, when I interview somebody new that's on our leadership team, I'm looking for somebody that that is going to enjoy change and want to embrace change because that's kind of how I am. I get a little bit bored doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I I have to hold myself back from like not burning something down because I want to change it, like making the right decisions for, you know, not burning it down because I don't want to do it anymore, you know? (laughs) So I need to have people on my team that can change with me for sure. What Mm -hmm. about you? Oh, definitely. I, we talk a lot about visionary integrator thing a lot. You know, I read that book. It's a little, little different. A little yeah. different. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept mm-hmm. and I'll be more privy to it now when I start thinking about how I pick my leadership team going forward. And as I grow my leadership team, you know, I, I know it's not teed up on your questions list, but I'd like to ask Robin a little bit about core values and how impactful they can be. Do you have a lot, any, a lot of experience with developing core values and implementing them in your business? And if not, just say yeah. no. So not a lot of experience developing them, implementing them. Implementing them. Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, and making sure that employees are on board. And employees not on board, maybe it's time for them to look for a new place of employment. Sure. Yeah. So, Robin, you wrote a book, Leaders Don't Have to Be Lonely, and I remember when you were coming out with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and exactly what it's about? So that book is, it really is about how do we interact and engage with our employees. And we hear so very often leaders say, oh, it's lonely at the top. Kind of is in a way. And and for good reason. Yes, it is. Because as a leader, you can't tell everything As a change agent, as much as I want you, leader, to share everything, because the more you share, the better your employees feel, the less uncertain they feel. Yes, I agree. But I get it that you can't share everything. You can't share everyone's wages with everybody in the shop, right? Right. It's just just not normal. However... I I guess you could, actually, but... And I think we're moving in that direction. Do you really? Okay. More transparency. Yeah. Yeah. mm -hmm. I'm hearing HR talk more and more about that. But what happens is, is that as you grow up the ladder, people stop talking to you because oh, you're the leader. Yeah, they, they don't want to tell you all the bad they stuff. They don't want to tell you the yeah. bad things. Yeah. They're afraid. And if you're not a leader with high emotional intelligence, they're really afraid. Because if we tell you something bad, you may go off. You may start firing people. Mm-hmm. And so if you have higher emotional intelligence, or the higher your emotional intelligence is, people are afraid. They're more free to talk to you. Yeah, one of the things that I've, I've always told my team is 
don't be afraid to tell me the things that I don't want to hear. Don't be afraid to challenge me because I'm, I'm, I don't know everything. And I've repeatedly said that. And, and my team has gotten comfortable in like just a situation this morning where one of the guys was challenging me on something. And I was like, yeah, like totally, you know, and he kind of preempted it. Like, and I, I'm like, just, just have it out. Like, it's fine. You know, I'm not going to get mad about this. Just, you know, I want to make sure that I'm making these decisions correctly and I need, I need your feedback. And depending on who you are, they will actually do that. Do that. Yeah. Right. And so the book is about how do you get employees to talk to you? You know, so if, you're not lonely. So you're not lonely. Yeah. And the best way to do that is really to become a coach to your employees. And what do I mean by coach is to ask more questions, mm-hmm. do less telling mm-hmm. and ask more questions. So why do you feel that way? Why do you think doing it this way is better than, better than doing it that way? So the more questions you ask, the more people open up, the more people feel free to talk and have discussions with you, and you actually develop a relationship, a relationship so that people will come. So that, in Jason's case, his employee did say, okay, this is the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I think like being a good leader is asking the right questions. I mean, I think a lot of times when you're managing, you're more managing maybe the processes as opposed to leading the people. And and those require a little bit different nuanced skills. Absolutely. Sometimes people throw like leader and manager together in the same bucket. And they're two very different things. They are. Mm -hmm. Jim, do you have any final questions for, for Robin? No, I don't. But I really feel equipped and inspired by what we've talked about today. And how, how did you get into this change management and consulting? Oh, that, What's your that story? That is a great question. So, <laughs> so I started my career in training and development Okay, and then moved into Six Sigma okay. doing projects yeah. and yeah. have my you know, Six Sigma certification. And then from there, I moved to, uh, so, and I was working in pharmaceutical manufacturing. Okay. And then I moved to Kraft Foods and doing their organization development work. And so organization development traditionally is helping the organization develop through their people. But because I had the Six Sigma background, I could also do continuous improvement work. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Kraft had just purchased Nabisco, Uh, not just, but a few years before, and the integration didn't go very well. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much an us-and-a-them environment, very chaotic. They hated like the employees hated the new craft way of mm-hmm. doing things. Right. And so the organization, Nabisco part, of the, the Nabisco part of the organization was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And so they had to bring in a turnaround management team to help turn this integration around. And so I was a part of that team and it was tons of continuous improvement work, tons of getting employees on board. We had three unions in the building. So getting the unions on board and that just kind of took off. And since then, and that was 08. And so since then, I've been working with organizations who are in this integration and or going through these really large transformations and and Do you it, typically work with Fortune 500 companies or? Typically. Yeah, okay. Typically, but any company. Right, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since then, you're, you've become Dr. Robin, right? Uh, you, got, you got your PhD <laughs> now, right? Yeah. So Congratulations. While, actually, thank you. So while working at a very full-time job, Kraft Foods was a very, very full-time job. Some, you know, when you're trying to turn around 
something that large. We went from 12 hours, 16 hour days. Mm -hmm. So I was also, I was doing that and working full time on my doctorate degree. Okay. What, what, what is your thesis on? So actually the thesis is the title of the book. Oh, okay. So okay. in my, in my program, we didn't have to write a traditional dissertation. Okay. We got to write a book or do a consulting, something to prove, to really prove that we had learned what we needed to learn in this doctoral wow. program. And that's, which is why I chose the program because it was really applied. Okay. And you can, sh I could show. Okay. It was less that, theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Great. Great. Well, Robin, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so it much. It really has. Yeah, your smiling face fun. and <laughs> your, you just bring an aura of joy. Seriously, <laughs> you do. Thank you. Thank you. And you, I feel like you explained it really easy to me. Good. And, Good. you know, and that's, that's what point. manufacturers, we don't know. You know what I mean? We don't understand. Do you think that my dad, when, when he was running this business 20, 30 years ago, even thought about emotional? Oh, he doesn't What want are you talking yeah, about, emotional intelligence? Yeah. Get out there yeah, get and the, start working yeah. right the, now. Get the, the widgets faster, out the door. The harder you work, yeah. the more money you're going to make. Yeah. What do you think? If you're not making chips, you're not making money yeah. came yeah. from. Yeah, right? exactly. You just got to work yeah. hard. That was all they knew was just well, work hard. And that's hard, where hard. you were dealing with the people like they were... They weren't people. They were just, you know, they robots. Were numbers. Yeah. Yeah. They were numbers. Yeah, yeah, they were numbers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm hoping from this discussion, for the sake of the Making Chips team, Jim will become more emotionally intelligent. Oh, de I definitely. <laughs> I have some of these characteristics, I'm glad to tell you. But no, it was just, it was a pleasure, Robin. Yeah. Thank you Great. so much Thank for you, Robin. coming You're welcome. In today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So, Jim, what do you, what do you need to work on in order to raise your, your levels of emotional intelligence from the things that she talked about? One of them, you know, self-awareness was a big one. Empathy. I think I think I I think I have empathy. Well, you, I you, think I need to control it. my emotions a little bit more. I th I think for me, I think I need to, and this is something I've been working on outside of work. I just need to work a little bit more on my self-awareness. Are you, you know? a pragmatist? No, I already I already told you before that I would be more oh of the originator. an originator. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I probably am a little bit of a pragmatist, but yeah. as Robin said, most people fall into that bucket, right? right? But I'm getting better. Yep. That's, that's the whole thing. Even at my age and all these years in this industry, I'm really pushing myself to change and move out of my comfort zone. And, you know, we did a podcast on that. Yeah. Years ago. I mean, it's all about, you know, making these incremental improvements, not totally. only to your business, but also to your leadership. Because if you're not making changes, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.